I'm reading from Matthew 12, 28 through 41, the sign of Jonah. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Lord God, we thank you that something indeed greater is here. Lord, you are here. And so, God, we, we want to sense your presence, that you would be present to bless us in a great and mighty way as you beckon us towards repentance. God, I pray that you would speak to us from your word tonight to see what repentance is and what does it look like, what does it entail, so that, God, we would turn from our sin and disobedience and turn to you one who draws us in to his warm embrace. So, Lord Jesus, we want to sense your presence tonight. Would you bless us as we continue to worship you and see what repentance looks like for us? Uh, We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you stood before God at the gates of heaven and he posed the question to you, why should I let you into my kingdom? what would your answer be? Would you say something like, I've kept your laws and your statutes to the best of my ability? Or, I had hoped that my good works would outweigh my bad. Or possibly, I walked an aisle as a child and gave my life to Jesus. Or, I accepted Jesus into my heart. Regardless of the substance of these answers, they all have one thing in common. Did you spot it? They started with I. When the Bible's answer to that question begins with J. Salvation belongs to Jesus. That's our sermon title for tonight. Salvation belongs to Jesus. Heavenly Father, would you speak plainly through your word tonight that, God, we would see clearly from the scriptures what you would have for us to glean when it comes to repentance. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's look together at Jonah. We're going to start in chapter 1, verse 17, and go all the way through chapter 2. God's word says this. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord Yahweh, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord Yahweh out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. 
Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord Yahweh my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord Yahweh, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord Yahweh. And the Lord Yahweh spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Last month, I watched a movie called 13 Lives. Absolutely fascinating movie. I highly recommend you watch it. It's based on the true and fascinating story of a rescue mission assembled in Thailand where a group of young boys and their soccer coach had become trapped in a cave. At the time of their entering the cave, it was bright and sunny out. But as they went deeper and deeper into the cave, they had no idea that a rainstorm had swiftly moved upon the mountain and flooded the cave system. There was no way out. And without giving away how they do it, the tagline for the movie is 5,000 people, 17 countries, one miracle that united the world. The story is captivating because it took extraordinary means to bring about salvation. And that's what I see occurring here in Jonah chapter 2. God uses extraordinary means to bring about salvation. God uses extraordinary means to bring about salvation. As Jonah drifts deeper and deeper into the darkness of the sea, God provides salvation in a way that only he can. Cross, do you really believe that the Lord appointed a fish to swallow Jonah? Yes, the Bible says it does. And not only does Jonah tell us that as a firsthand testimony, but Jesus references it. And he, just, he doesn't just affirm the existence of Jonah as a historical figure. No, he actually affirms the recorded event in question. He says, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man, that's Jesus, be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, saying that he would be buried in a rich man's tomb. And it is here that we are reminded that we believe in an even greater miracle than some whale swallowing Jonah and spitting him out three days later. We believe in the perfect life, atoning death, and actual resurrection of God in flesh. If I can believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, then I have no issue with our creator God 
mobilizing one of his creatures to carry out a lesser yet still extraordinary task. The fish, as great as it may be, is not the main subject of this chapter. No. What we see here in Jonah chapter 2 is Jonah's prayer of repentance. In fact, the difference between Jonah being in the belly of the fish in verse 1 and on dry land in verse 10 is a prayer of repentance in verses 2 through 9. The difference between being in the belly of the fish and on dry land is a prayer of repentance. So I want to give you tonight five marks of repentant prayer. Five marks of repentant prayer. This prayer of repentance is beautiful and it is biblical. And it's probably beautiful because it's biblical. Jonah borrows from many of the Psalms throughout this prayer of repentance. He likely had memorized the book of Psalms as a prophet of God. When he finds himself praying, he cannot help but pray the Psalms. And so we would be wise to learn from his example. When you pray, pray the Bible. When you pray, pray the Bible. And I would even encourage you, pray the Psalms. We believe the Bible is God's revelation about himself. That includes the Psalms, a book of songs and prayers that God has given his people to use as a model in their prayers and songs back to him. It's a beautiful gift. When you pray, pray the Bible. And with that, let's dive in these five marks of repentant prayer. The first, your prayer is a desperate plea to the Lord. Your prayer is a desperate plea to the Lord. We see this in verses 1 and 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. The first word in this chapter is very telling. It tells us a great deal about the condition of Jonah's heart. You see, chapter 1, verse 17 tells us that Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And then chapter 2, verse 1, it begins with then, as in and then. Or if I can spell it out for you, Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, and then he decided to voice a prayer of repentance to the Lord. It took him a while to get there. But once he did, we see that his prayer of repentance is a desperate plea to the Lord. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, out of my trouble, out of my affliction, out of this enormous pressure on top of me. I cried out to Yahweh. Your prayer is a desperate plea to the Lord. To illustrate this, I think of the story of Hannah in the Bible uh, from 1 Samuel chapter 1. Uh, Hannah uh, was barren. She was without child. She desperately wanted a child. 
And so her husband gives her an offering to take to the temple. And so she goes to the temple to present her offering and pray earnestly to Yahweh for a child. She was, as verse 10 says, deeply distressed and prayed to Yahweh and wept bitterly. She's crying out to the Lord, if you would just give me a child, I'll give them back to you. And as she's praying, Eli, the priest, approaches her to kick her out, thinking that she was drunk. That's how she appeared, which is a reminder that desperate isn't a good look. And it's not supposed to be. Hannah was pouring out her soul to the Lord and and a repentant prayer, that's what we're after. Hannah's prayer was a desperate plea to the Lord, asking the Lord to do what only he can do. And we see something similar in the life of Jonah. Jonah's prayer was a desperate plea to the Lord, asking the Lord to do what only he can do. Just as Hannah prayed that God would produce life in her, So Jonah prayed that he would produce life in him. But for Jonah, it was by way of repentance. Mark number two, your prayer is aware of the seriousness of your situation. Your prayer is aware of the seriousness of your situation. We see this in verses two and three. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Notice Jonah's use of the word Sheol. The word Sheol refers to the realm of the dead which one would enter through the bars that Jonah mentions in verse 6, along with the word pit. Sheol is hell, the underworld, the place of no return, the rightful place for the wicked to be punished. Jonah is aware of the seriousness of his situation. And he's aware of who has brought him to this place. You cast me into the deep. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Now, the Lord brought him down into the deep and the dark as a just response to Jonah's disobedience. We saw that last week. He fled the presence of the Lord. He fled his call to go to the nations and call them to repentance. This is not Jonah blaming God. This is Jonah acknowledging the sovereign hand of the Lord to do that which is just. Jonah's prayer is aware of the seriousness of his situation. Have you ever waited too long uh, to have something checked out by a doctor? Maybe you got this kind of stitch in your side and you're like, I hope that goes away. You got a toothache that flares up when you drink something sweet got this infection you're covering up, convinced that it's, it's not a big deal. But eventually, 
it becomes impossible to be casual about your crisis. It becomes impossible to be casual about your crisis. And when you're aware of the seriousness of your situation, it's then and only then when you want everyone else to match your urgency. After three days and three nights, Jonah had become aware of the seriousness of his situation. It was impossible for him to be casual about his crisis. He believed he was in Sheol, the pit of destruction. But he had not lost hope, which leads us to our third mark of repentant prayer. Your prayer is anchored in the hope of the Lord alone. Your prayer is anchored in the hope of the Lord alone. We see this in verses 4 through 6. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Jonah claims to have been driven away from the Lord's sight, but then he makes one of the most stunning statements in his entire prayer. He says, I shall again look upon your holy temple. Now, this is either a confidence that Jonah has that he will one day see the temple of the Lord again in person, or a repeated dependence on the Lord in prayer that Jonah is again looking toward the temple in prayer. An argument can be made for either one or both. Regardless of your interpretation, we can all agree that he has some hope that the Lord will save him. His hope is in a resurrection of sorts. It is a faith similar to that of Abraham. The Bible tells us that as a test of faith, Abraham had uh, been commanded by the, by the Lord to sacrifice his son Isaac on Mount Moriah. And the book of Hebrews tells us that as Abraham took his son up the mountain, he considered that God was able to raise him from the dead. I believe that that is what we see here with Jonah, which is why he goes on to say, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. There's a sense of finality that goes with the word forever, isn't there? Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Yahweh, my God. Jonah's prayer of repentance was anchored in the hope of the Lord and the Lord alone. And that is because of what only the Lord can do. Which brings us to our fourth mark of repentant prayer. Your prayer testifies to the redemptive power of the Lord. Your prayer testifies to the redemptive power of the Lord. And this comes to us from verse 7. When my life was fainting away, 
I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. He remembered his God. He remembered what the God of Israel had done. His God had sent plagues on the nation of Egypt. His God had parted the sea so that his people could walk on dry land. His God had led his people through the wilderness in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. His God had crumbled the walls of Jericho in the great conquest. And his God had defended the promised land from enemy's attack. His God created the sea and the dry land, as he said to the sailors in chapter 1. One cannot remember the Lord without remembering all he has done throughout redemptive history. This is why we read the whole of Scripture, New Testament and Old. In order to see what God can do, we must be reminded of what he has done. And this is also why we make a spiritual discipline of journaling, writing in journals. I've been remembering the Lord since 2011. So seven moleskin journals. My eighth is in my office. That's the one I'm on now. And something I've noticed is I've improved in my penmanship over the last 11 years. That's good. But more importantly... My spiritual life has improved. These journals are filled with moments, memories, seasons, struggles, miracles, and answered prayer. All I have to do is look through them to be reminded of the Lord's faithfulness and goodness towards me and those that I love. When I repent of sin in my life, I do so with a prayer that testifies to the redemptive power of the Lord, my God. His active involvement in my life urges me all the more towards repentance when I sin against him and others. When Jonah is turning towards the Lord, he is reminded of himself of who the Lord is and what he has already done before he thinks about what the Lord can do. This is a prayer that comes to the Lord in his temple, his holy temple, because it is a prayer that makes much of Yahweh. He is inclined, the Lord is inclined to hear this prayer that is banking on his promises to do what only the Lord Yahweh can do. This is a great prayer of repentance for Jonah. I mean, he could teach one of those master classes that you see ads for all the time, like learn from the experts. Learn from the expert Jonah on how to prayerfully repent. It's a great prayer of repentance. But unfortunately, it takes a strange turn because Jonah takes his focus off the Lord. Which brings us to Mark number five. 
Your prayer is heard even when you fall short. Your prayer is heard even when you fall short. We see this in verses 8 and 9. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. We might not see it at first glance because what Jonah is saying here is true. Those who do not worship Yahweh are worshiping idols and they don't have hope of steadfast love. That is true. But when you look at the trajectory of Jonah's heart through the four chapters of his book, you see that his attitude towards the pagans is largely unchanged. In fact, a key component that I believe is absent in Jonah's prayer here is clear confession. He's turned to the Lord. I see that much. But as far as calling out that sin that he's still struggling with, I don't see that clear confession. In fact, I think I see something here that shouldn't be here. And that's comparison. He says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, I with a voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you. Uh, it's the same sense I get from when Jesus tells us about the tax collector and the Pharisee. So one day in the temple and the tax collector goes and, and kneels before the presence of the Lord and beats his chest, have mercy on me, O God, for I am a sinner. And meanwhile, there's a Pharisee who says, thank you, God, that I am not like this tax collector. And the Lord tells us that only one left the temple justified that day. Between the lack of confession and outright comparison of himself to the pagans, whether it's on the ship or in Nineveh, Jonah's prayer is not finishing very strong. It's like one of those viral videos you see of athletes going around on video, uh, whether it's, you know, somebody running track and, you know, they're well ahead of any of the competition and they're looking at the finish line, but then they start to look at the crowd and man, like, man, man, my fan club's here. This is great. And then all of a sudden somebody swoops right through and gets the prize or a college football player. It happens every single year. Uh, they, they're, they're blowing the competition away. And they're about to go into the, the, the goal line, uh, past the goal line, and they start to think about the celebration they're going to do in the end zone. And, you know, they don't really realize they dropped the ball right before they passed the goal line. So it is with Jonah in his prayer of repentance. But we can be comforted that our prayer is heard even when we fall short. We all have blind spots, every one of us. For Jonah, it was his hardened heart towards the nations. It might be something similar to you. You might have a hardened heart 
towards the very purpose that God has for your life on this earth. We might miss the very thing God wants us to pray and repent from. And this is what astounds me about our God. And it's our main point for this evening. Our main point is this. Jesus receives our desperate and flawed attempts to turn back to him because salvation belongs to him. And the clear application here is pray and repent. Jesus receives our desperate and flawed attempts to turn back to him because salvation belongs to him. So pray and repent. Just when you think Jonah has completely whiffed, completely dropped the ball, he utters these beautiful words, salvation belongs to the Lord. And I believe that in that instant that he makes that wonderful proclamation, it's like queuing up the whale to vomit him up out. Jonah prayed an imperfect prayer of repentance and the Lord Yahweh saw fit to deliver him from the depths. Oh, what comfort we have that regardless of how deep and dark it gets for us, our prayers are not bound by the deep and the dark. Jonah was the farthest from God he could be and his prayer came to the Lord in his holy temple. But behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Salvation belongs to Jesus. So pray, repent, Turn from your sins. Trust that the Lord Jesus receives your desperate and flawed attempts to turn back to him because salvation belongs to Jesus. So if you stood before God at the gates of heaven and he posed the question to you, why should I let you in to my kingdom? My hope is that you would answer Jesus. Jesus. Jesus loved me and gave himself up for me. Jesus lived the life I couldn't live and died the death I deserved. Jesus heard me as I cried out to him in my distress. Jesus pulled me up out of the pit. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus is the only reason you and I will ever be permitted to the kingdom of heaven because salvation belongs to Jesus. Amen.